If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. I, I, like, I like what I sat in as we were talking about the schedule and what to do. And you know what? It, it's been a, a difficult year, you know, going through uh, the loss of Mitch and just a lot of things in, in life and in the church. And I like what their thinking was is let's, you know, instead of having like a couple serv- a service here, service there, let's have one service. Let's get everybody in the church together for one service and uh, felt like the best time was Christmas Eve at 7 o'clock. So I hope you'll make that a priority. Our theme really is that light will guide you home. And uh, it says in John 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of man, of all people. And we're going to emphasize that uh, this Christmas Eve. Uh, Do you know that people are more likely to come to church on Christmas Eve than any other time of the year. I can prove that to you statistically. That's the time they are most likely to come to church if they're invited. And so we hope that you'll put some invitations out there, try to bring family together and stuff, and it'll be a great service. I think, uh, you know, my kids growing up over the years, we, our church, like yours, ends by singing Silent Night together and lighting candles together. And uh, my kids always said that was the time when it felt like Christmas. So I hope uh, it's going to be a great service. It's going to be, you know, roughly like, let's say, 15 minutes of music, 15 uh, 15 music uh, kind of of a devotional, 15 minutes, and then kind of 15 minutes of some special things for kids because it's a family-friendly service, and and then uh, 15 minutes of lighting the candles. It's going to be simple service, but it's going to be stressing family and our time together and really celebrating that light has come into the darkness, that at the longest, darkest night of the world, uh, Jesus came. And we're going to celebrate that together. So I hope you'll come and join us uh, Christmas Eve at 7. Lord, bless us now as we study your word together. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before I get in the text, remind you of the theme we're going over here, which is unexpected. You know, uh, all of these people in the Christmas story, it's just so easy for us to think that this is all just, you know, uh, stuff that happened and somehow it was easy for Mary to just say, oh, sure, go ahead and make me pregnant. Go ahead and without a man involved, make me pregnant. That's like, that's easy, right? It was very easy for Joseph to go through the shame of being married to a, a woman who was pregnant and probably everybody wondering, was, was this Joseph's baby? Whose baby was this? It, it was unexpected uh, reality that came to people who were chosen by God because of who they were. And, and, uh, and so in Luke's gospel, we have kind of Mary's story. We looked at that last week. But Matthew gives us a little different perspective because he gives us the story from Joseph's eyes, what it was like for Joseph to live through that time. And it starts off, now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And that's, that's stay there, for, go back, Barb. And that's how, how this uh, story starts. Um, when I think of unexpected things, my wife had, uh, one of her best friends had a sister uh, and her husband lived in a really big house uh, in Malibu 
on the coast of California. And a few years ago, there were fires that were really bad in that area. So uh, they went to their house to get some very important papers out before the fire came. But if you've ever uh, followed fire, you know that fire, everybody thinks they can outrun a big fire. You can't. Do you know that when a fire is raging, it goes 100 yards in four seconds? That's a football field. A picture, how, how long would it take the fastest person you know to run a football field? Four seconds, that fire. You cannot outrun it. But uh, as they were leaving their house to try to get out of there, the fire had shut off the road ahead of them. And so they had no alternative but to go back to the house and to jump into their swimming pool and to watch not only all of their property, but to watch their entire house and everything they owned and had spent years building up to watch it all just go to the ground. Can you imagine that? What, uh, sitting there for hours and just watching everything that you thought was so important in life and it's all being destroyed. Uh, unanticipated, unexpected is really hard for us to deal with, right? Uh, and it was for them too. And so here's mother engaged, it says, to be married to Joseph. It was kind of really a process of betrothal in, in their world. It, it really was, it, for example, Mary at this stage of her relationship with Joseph, Joseph's job would have been to go to his father's house and add a room on, uh, on the side, basically take one wall of his father's house, build three more walls, and that's where him and his wife, and he was given a year to build that, so then his wife would come in and, and be with him, and they'd have a, a week-long celebration of the marriage. As a result, though, of... Uh, of him getting ready in this period, the woman was just supposed to also take care of getting herself ready for marriage and, and a, a new reality of life. And that's the period they're in. In fact, in, in their society, in their culture, if Joseph had died that year, Mary would have been considered a widow for the rest of her life. It was a legally binding agreement that the families had made much like, think like India, the, the families had made this agreement that this woman and this man would be married together. Uh, and it was legally binding. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. It isn't just Luke that says, talks about the virgin birth again. It's talked about it consistently throughout the scripture. We're going to see a little more of that in a little bit. Uh, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Again, Bob Marsh's notes, the year of betrothal was about to take unexpected and shocking turns. However, Luke 139 tells us that Mary suddenly hurried off to the hill country of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and she was gone for three months. So we're trying to get the time frame here. Okay, she finds out she's going to have a baby. The angel tells her that her cousin, Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, uh, has already become pregnant. Everybody thought she was way too old to have children, but now she's having a baby. So Mary goes off to see this and ends up staying there for three months. Probably, I imagine these two relatives coping with what was going on in their life. And, you know, <laughs> I had a friend who said, this about women years ago. Bill, in the end, they're all sisters, you know? And there is a connection that women have often to other women, which is a very deep, uh, deep thing. My wife is uh, in California today because her quote-unquote book group is having their Christmas luncheon today. And so she chose to fly 
I must add, at great expense to me uh, to go uh, stay with my daughter and her family there so that she could be with the book club. Now, I think they actually do read something once in a while. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. But the book club is really much more about being able to commiserate together, to help each other, and they have supported each other through some devastating circumstances in their lives. And she really wanted to be there with her, her friends. And, and so I think Mary and uh, Elizabeth, it'd be a fascinating thing to be able to watch what was going on in, in their lives as they're both dealing with this tremendous miracle, but this unexpected, significant change in life. Anybody think having a child's a big change in life? Yeah? Okay. We can agree on that. Uh, Joseph, back to verse 19 now, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Uh, in Israel, in those days, if uh, a woman was uh, pregnant and she wasn't married or she was pregnant with somebody other than her husband or had had sex with somebody other than her husband, what was the expected uh, thing that religious people were supposed to do? Do you remember? Stoning her killing her for what she'd done. And, you know, Joseph, again, it, it stresses here, he was a just man. He was a righteous man. But, but for him to be a righteous man didn't mean literally uh, even keeping the law at that point. He instead decided, because he did love her, to just break the engagement quietly and not disgrace her. Joseph, again, here's a note, was a righteous man. He followed the rules, lived a good life. He would have looked eagerly to the arrival of the Messiah. Here's the phrase, though, that resonates with me. The next one, she was found to be with child. It's interesting. There is uh, no indication that Mary told Joseph or had a chance to explain things. Rather, her condition was discovered or seen Oh, the scandal. You can imagine the talk around the village, and she was such a nice girl. What a shame. And Joseph, I would have never expected such a thing from him because they're betrothed together. Everybody probably would have assumed something like that. So here she is now. She's been away with Elizabeth for three months, and she comes back, and she's starting to show. And, uh, and it was, she was, it says in the text, she was found out. She was discovered to be pregnant. Uh, again, she hadn't been there to explain it all to Joseph months before. She hadn't been there to explain it to anybody. And even if she had explained it, would there have been a lot of skepticism and doubt about this crazy idea that somehow uh, the Holy Spirit was going to make her pregnant with a child? Uh, and so the fact that this was, uh, again, another unexpected result, you know, was she's just discovered in this state. Verse uh, 20, as he considered this, he fell asleep. <laughs> hey guys, you with me guys? 
big deep. Ah, I'm tired. <laughs> I'll worry about that tomorrow, you know. He was a guy's a carpenter. He's working hard all day. Carpenters, you know, think about it. It's not just working in a little shop. You're out cutting, cutting down trees, and you got to, you know, skin the trees. You got to take the bark off. You got to, you know, they didn't have power saws. They didn't have sawmills. You know, you got to do a lot of sawing and cutting and work. And, and you know, this guy's working hard, and he's, he's wrestling with this. He's feeling the tension, but he's tired. He just goes to sleep. I love it. I love that. Uh, J.B. Phillips did a translation of the Bible years ago, the, the Phillips translation, and, and um, it was just the New Testament. But he said one of the things he learned as he was translating the whole New Testament, he said, I, I don't know how to describe this to you, but it has the ring of truth. It has this sense that what I'm hearing about are real stories because of the little details in the stories that would normally be left out maybe if somebody was just making up a story. And, and this is one of those for me. Uh, just a little side thing. He fell asleep. Okay. And in his sleep, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It's interesting how God uses dreams sometimes. It says in the Bible, your young men will see vision, your old men will dream dreams. And sometimes God speaks that way. I've been amazed. Uh, if you listen to missionaries who are working in the Middle East in that 1040 window where there are so many uh, people who are, are followers of Muhammad. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever studied, I actually studied the life of Muhammad when I was in high school. And I don't know how anybody could <laughs> think that God speaks through this guy. Just a terrible guy in so many ways. However, the, uh, the fact is, God is reaching these people in their dreams. Jesus, a lot of people there will tell you that they are Christians today because Jesus came to them in their dream and talk to them in their dream. And when Jesus talked to them in their dream, they decided to follow him. Um, the, uh, the dream comes, and the dream brings a response of, of fear. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid. So at the core of his emotional well-being, what is it he's really dealing with here? She's been discovered. It's clear she's pregnant. And now he ju he's just afraid. He's just flat out afraid. What will people think? What will I do? What's going on here? And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, J.K. Rowling has written a few books that my grandkids love. She said, understanding is the first step to acceptance. I like that quote, that if you're going to accept an idea, you've got to understand what it is. Uh, and, and what is happening is the angel, God, God is explaining it to him now so that he can move forward to really accept this idea. Verse 21, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. The same thing Mary is called now, Joseph is, is told. So the name was very important, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what does Jesus mean, or Yeshua? A, a lot of times you, you have uh, in, in uh, Jewish names, you, they have somewhere in the name uh, either uh, the letters like J-E or E-L or something like him. And it's, it's kind of like a shortened version of, of the name of God, either Yahweh, Jehovah God, or Elohim, or something like that. 
so the E-L, Elohim, J-E, kind of Jehovah. And so Jesus, J-E, uh, again, Joshua, Eshua, would have this, what it literally meant was God is salvation. And his name would be God is salvation. Uh, and uh, he, because he will save. God is salvation because he will save his people. Does, doesn't say he saves everybody from their sins. It's interesting. It says he'll save his people. People who respond to him, he will save from their sins. But he doesn't save everybody from their sins who doesn't respond to him. Um, all of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through this prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. In other words, uh, one thing Matthew is really big on Matthew is by far the most Jewish gospel, and he's very strong on bringing Old Testament prophecy into the story. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. My house, for a number of years, a few years ago, my wife just put above the fireplace in our house the word Emmanuel. And after Christmas, I thought she'd take it down and she said, no, no, I, I think I want to leave that up there past Christmas. I want a constant reminder that God is with us. Uh, for us, you know, we, we had thought about moving out of L.A. Uh, as I don't think anyone else ever thought of that, of course. <laughs> but uh, everybody wants out of L.A. It's crazy. Uh, the city I lived in, Whittier, uh, you know, just had a guy get shot on the street the other day. I mean... Uh, we have a coal store just, you know, half mile from our house, and a guy comes in there, shoots his wife in the store, and it freaked out my wife for a long time. It's it just, you know, there's just the, the traffic, the craziness of it, just what we were done with. But we had no idea that we would be here now. We were thinking maybe, but then all of a sudden, a house right next door to where my daughter lives went on the market. And, uh, and my daughter called me up one day. We'd been discussing it with them. Should we buy the house or not? And my daughter said, well, uh, we bought the house. <laughs> we, uh, we really want you here. She's got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. The, the five-year-old is named William after me. The three-year-old is sick a lot, has a lot of breathing problems, was in the hospital this summer for that respiratory problem that's going around. He just has a lot of issues health-wise, and my wife's a nurse, and they wanted us here because they didn't have family here. It was just kind of them. And so uh, we had to decide, do we want to go a year? Unexpected. Are we willing to go a year earlier than we really would probably have been comfortable with and to try to sell our house and to try to do all the things we had to do? Uh, it was really one of the most challenging times of my life. But friends, I want, you to, I want to say something here. Uh, can I, hello? We all with me? I like you guys. I, I really think in a strange way, one of the reasons God moved up the schedule was so that I could be with, with you people. Because I just really like you. I like this church. I like being here. Uh, I mean, I committed, I do the whole month of December, you know. I, I, I really... Uh, enjoy being part of your church, and I, I thank you for the privilege of that. But it wasn't, the schedule wasn't what I would have really been most comfortable with, but God had a better schedule. You get that? God, how many of you have found that true in life, that God knows what he's doing most, you know? And sometimes, uh, some of you aren't sure. Okay. Uh, 
he, he knows what he's doing. Isaiah had said that prophecy, the Lord himself will give you the sign, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Well, back to Matthew 1, 24. When Joseph woke up, one of my favorite lines about marriage is, uh, it's like a phone call in the middle of the night. You get a ring and then you wake up, you know. Uh, and he gets a wake up. He woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife. I see a lot of good things about Joseph. In other words, the house was already ready. Had a schedule. And he, uh, but most of all, what I see is prompt obedience. Here, God said, don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. He wakes up and he goes and says, come on, Mary, let's go. Next day, next morning, right after the dream, prompt obedience. What, here's the question. What kind of people does God use? What kind of people is God looking for? And in a lot of ways, part of what he wants and is looking for is simple obedience that he tells you what to do. You got the whole Bible as a guideline for you. He tells you what to do and you do it. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, great things are happening here. He, he woke up and he did it. When I was a boy, I heard a missionary tell about being in, in the, in the, you know, a, a place in Africa where he was ministering. And at one point, uh, you know, his, he had to yell at his son uh, to hit the dirt. And the, the father had a handgun with him and the father was able to kill the snake, the poisonous snake that was ready to strike at his son. And he said, if my son had not done what I told him to do right away, he probably would have been dead. Prompt obedience is a great value in life. And sometimes uh, it's, it's something which is really difficult to cultivate. You know, when I was a kid, you know, my dad would say, uh, hey, I want you to do this. And I'm like, well, why? Why do you want me to do that? And, well, explain it to me. You know, everything had to have an explanation and stuff. Or sometimes my mom would say, you know, it'd be good. My mother came to me one day. She said, we're really worried about you. And I, I said, well, <laughs> I can understand. You don't know the half of it. Uh, and she said, you're 18 years old and you haven't preached a sermon yet. You know, your cousin John preached his first sermon when he was 16. You're 18, you haven't preached a sermon yet. So 54 years ago, I preached my first sermon uh, at a Wednesday night prayer meeting because my mother told me to do it. Uh, she was right. It was time for me to kind of start letting to find God's direction for my life. You know, he did what the angel of the Lord suggested. Is that what it says in yellow? No. The angel commanded him to, he did it. Uh, Keanu Reeves, every struggle in your life has shaped you into the person you are today. Be thankful for the hard times. Now, some of you will go home and say, yeah, it was great service. He quoted J.K. Rowling and Keanu Reeves, you know. <laughs> I say, well, Let's be honest, he spent most of the time in Matthew, okay? So we get the story straight here. Uh, there was a shirt that the uh, coach of the Indianapolis Colts was wearing uh, that kind of caught my attention 
I am stronger than my darkest days. I'm stronger than my darkest days. And, and the struggles we have, the unexpected things, uh, the passage that Eric read about, you know, you say, I'm going to go to such and such a city and I'm going to do something. And James 4 says, but you ought to say, if God wills, I will do that. There, there's always this condition of that God is in charge and I will follow him and I'll go where he wants me to go. She remained a virgin until her son was born. And Joseph, another point, named him what he had been told, Jesus. Luke 2, we're going to switch a little bit now to, uh, actually, we're heading towards Matthew 2 in a minute, Matthew 2, 13. I just remind you that uh, uh, in Luke 2, it tells us that Joseph went to the city of Bethlehem because he was a descendant of King David. Uh, and because David came from Bethlehem, he, he went there. And, and uh, so they're in Bethlehem in chapter 2 when it starts. And I'm, I'm skipping through the first uh, dozen verses uh, because I think you've got pretty good clarity that there are three magi, at least three. It never says three, by the way. It says, you know, at least three gifts. So people say, well, there were three. There could have been 12 of them. Uh, you know, but they they came, they gave the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh to Jesus. And, and then uh, then they're, we're going to pick up the story here in verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. So they've just had this, just picture this great thing. While these kings come, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and the guy goes to bed. The guy probably getting a, a, a little nervous about going to sleep, you know. An angel appears to him and says, uh, and says, get up and go. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod, the king, is going to try to kill the child. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. Well, I, okay, wow. First time he goes the next morning, what does he do here? He, he, that night, somebody's trying to kill your son. Jesus, he says, we're out of here. Come on, Mary. Left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Prompt obedience. That time, Egypt had over a million Jews in it. It had a lot of Jewish people there. As a carpenter, he could probably find work anywhere. And as a result uh, of that, they stayed there until Herod's death, probably about three years. Until Herod's death, this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. Remember how he likes Old Testament? I called my son out of Egypt. That's from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, notice the male pronouns here because it's interesting because most of the prophecies I think about Israel in the Old Testament talk about Israel as a her. But Hosea talks about Israel as a him and singular, a child, I loved him out of Egypt, I called my son. And, Mos and what, uh, I mean, what Matthew said is this is another one of those fulfillments of prophecy that we didn't fully understand when Hosea said it, but now we kind of do. 16, Herod was furious when he f learned that the wise men had, had outwitted him. 
uh, Herod was not a nice guy. They called him Herod the Great. He was king for a long time, actually built the, the temple in Jerusalem and did a lot, a lot of good things, but he was a terrible guy. He killed three of his sons just because he was suspicious of him, killed one of his wives, you know, killed uh, some of his relatives. Anybody who was a threat to him, he killed them. Uh, and so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Cavalier, I didn't even think about it. Just so afraid that somebody was going to come after what he had because the wise men had told him the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. It's interesting that uh, all of the, the wise people who, who told him, you know, how, where was the, the king going to be born? It was Bethlehem. It doesn't say any one of them ever went to Bethlehem to see if it had actually happened. These guys show up and say, hey, we heard that, you know, the, the Messiah has come. Nobody goes to even check on it. The religious leaders don't even check on it. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah, another prophecy now. Cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning unrestrained. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Why Rachel's children? Because Genesis 35 says Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. She's buried in Bethlehem, so refers to them as her children now, her children in the grave with her. When Herod died, 19, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. How many dreams? What, which one is this? What number? Three. Uh, I love it. I love it. You're actually awake and listening. I love it. I'm almost, you know, I'm rolling home. Let's, let's hang in there a little bit. Okay. Uh, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him, get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. And Joseph returned a month later after he had wrapped everything up and taken care of all the details to arrange for the trip. Uh, now some of you women are thinking, oh no, a typical man, let's just get in the car and go. Who knows where we're going? And, you know, but he, he immediately, it stresses he immediately responds, how many times does God have to tell you to do it before you do it? How many times? You know, and with him, it's once. Why did God put Joseph in this world as Jesus' father? Let's just say simple obedience is a big part of it. He returned immediately with Jesus and his mother, Verse 22, but when he learned that the new ruler was Herod's son, Archelaus, the worst of, by the way, worst of Herod's sons, he was afraid. I like the details in the story. Yeah, you know, he was such a great man of faith. He never, he's afraid. You would be afraid too. Another dream, what dream is this? For how is this dream different? No angel. Doesn't say an angel. He was warned to go to Galilee. How did Jesus end up in Galilee? Because in a dream, his father was told to take him there, his earthly father. I like this quote, a couple of quotes, Bob Marsh, as we wrap things up. When they felt out of control, God was in control. 
So they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Fulfilled what the spoken by the prophet concerning the Messiah, he will be called a Nazarene. Here's a big problem you have with that particular one. He says prophets, plural, not prophet, because there is no prophet specifically who says that. But uh, it's interesting that St. Jerome, the fourth century, says that Nazarene was a slang or idiomatic term for an individual from a very remote or obscure place. It would be like we say, hey, this guy came from Hicksville, you know. This guy came from nowhere. If I was still in California, I said, this guy's right out of Barstow, you know. I mean, just nothing there, just desert and nothing there. And that's what people said about uh, Nazareth. Bob Marsh again, consider this for a moment. As Almighty God scanned the length of human history looking for a man to be the greatest human male influence on his son, think about that. He chose Jesus, uh, Joseph of Nazareth. As Jesus grew in the home of Joseph, he would have doubtless developed patterns that mirrored the head of his home. Speech patterns, hand skills, perhaps even the way he walked would have been influenced by his earthly stepfather. His attitudes would have been influenced and as he watched Joseph face tough times, deal with neighbors and customers in his shop, and even the way he faced death. Joseph kind of disappears in the story of Jesus. We have him up at the age of 12, and then and when Jesus comes back on the scene at age 30, he's, he's nowhere to be seen. So somewhere between 12 to 30, Joseph dies, evidently. And so Jesus had to see a lot of things, probably even just the way his father died. And so uh, think about if you were God, who would you want? And he chose Joseph. He's a significant man that we should honor. And he's one of the reasons that my only son's name is Peter Joseph. Because he was a great man, better than we often realize. And I honor him this Christmas. Well, what about you, your response? What can you learn from all this? Number one, you can obey God. Even when the circumstances are difficult. You can trust him and not be afraid. And you can, you can follow what God has asked you to do. Number two, you can love even when it costs you more than you want to pay. Love is a, a difficult thing. It tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son. It was not easy for that to happen. But because of who God is, he loved us enough. And number three, choose to be faithful, even in difficult times. Choose to be faithful. Obedience, love, faithfulness. That's all I have to say. Would you stand for the benediction? I'd like to leave you with a blessing from God's word. If anybody needs prayer, I'll be at the front. Merry Christmas. Hopefully the story becomes more real and more honest as we go through it together. And I really am looking forward. Frankly, I'm, I'm as excited to preach on, on Christmas Eve as I've been in a long time. It's going to be a really good little message. Light will guide you home. 
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord God lift up his face toward you, and may he give you peace. Shalom. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may he go with you now. And together we said, amen. amen. God bless.